Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. Praise God. Praise God. There's nobody like Jesus. He's not just a part of our lives, He is life, He is breath. The Bible says, in Him we live and we move and we have our being. Praise God. I want you to know that the Life Church is a Spirit-filled church. And the Lord is filling today. He wants to fill every one of us with His love, His grace, His presence, His power. We can't make it without Jesus, amen? We can't make it without Him. And we thank the Lord for His mighty presence and His touch here today. We have a message we believe from the Lord today for this church. And I want to turn your attention to the word of the Lord for a few moments as found in the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. The book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. It was very much a challenge to picture this service today because of all of the things that have unfolded. But... I suppose in light of our graduates today, and we have such a fine graduating class, we want to honor them with many of our comments. But I believe this message is for anyone that wants to take it home. You want to take it home with you today, it's for you. There will be something here for you. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Reading from the King James Version. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. If you'd allow me to say it this way. Bethlehem, small, insignificant, little, Bethlehem, though you pale in comparison to thousands around you, yet your small stage will provide the backdrop for the opening act of the greatest story ever told. And my message to you today, and I trust to our seven graduates is simply this no stage is too small for greatness no stage is too small for the great works of God that he wants to do in every one of us here today amen the Lord bless you you may be seated this will really go well if you'll help me preach today in a Pentecostal church, that means you say amen every once in a while. For centuries, the little town of Bethlehem labored and toiled under the shadow of the famous and renowned Jerusalem. Jerusalem had it all. Jerusalem had all of the hierarchy. Jerusalem had all of the hot spots. Jerusalem could boast as the home of the palace the throne and was the seat of the reign of the kings of Israel 
Jerusalem could boast of tenants like King Saul, King David, King Solomon. It could brag in its portfolio of housing famous attractions like the temple that routinely attracted visitors with the likes of the Queen of Sheba and royalty from around the world. Jerusalem was surrounded by seven mountains which not only provided protection and beauty, but each one of these mountains had been ascended by patriarchs and prophets of old, men who were close to the heart of God, who could come back with generations to come and point to pinnacles and maybe a precipice or a place on a mountain and say, look, it was there that I met with God. It was there that God spoke to my heart. But seven miles to the south was nestled insignificant Bethlehem. Laboring anonymously in Jerusalem's shadow. She could boast of no palace, no throne, no king. Bethlehem did not have any of the amenities and the attraction that Jerusalem did. There were no other things that were a part of Bethlehem that would have made I'm glad to say that I'm from Bethlehem. But I will say this about Bethlehem. Even though she didn't have a palace, she had an inn. And she had a stable out back. Its most significant claim to fame at the time of Micah's prophecy that we just read to you was that Bethlehem was home to a man by the name of Jesse whose youngest of seven sons was a ruddy-complexioned, lion-killing, bear-tearing, giant-defying shepherd boy by the name of David. But other than that, Bethlehem could boast no great thing, no great event, but still in its anonymity and still in its small insignificance, God chose to start something big in a very small place. And the Bible says, do not despise the day of little things. And the Bible says, behold, what a great matter a little fire kindles. It is God's way to usually not choose great places to do great things. God usually doesn't go along with the crowd. The Lord does not often choose popular places to do his greatest work. He rarely, if ever, selects great and renowned people to do his choice purpose in this world. But God's purpose, his prerogative, and his practice is to declare, let us make man. Let us make man after our image. And then what does he do? God goes into a dusty place. He looks for a place that's been overlooked and bypassed and intentionally ignored by others. And in a place of no account, God spits in the ground and he begins to form and fashion and create with his own hands. And out of that dusty obscurity, he begins to make what nobody has ever seen before. I think I'll make me 
a man. And I want to tell somebody here today who sits apparently anonymous in a beautiful sanctuary, someone who's just content to be your little old self. You don't want to talk to anybody. You don't want to hurt anybody. You don't want to help anybody. You don't think you're any big deal. I want to tell you something. You're on God's hit list. God is looking for small stages where he can do great things. God is looking for people who know they're nothing without him. God is looking for people who don't have any bragging rights, who don't have any great pedigrees, who don't have any great accolades, who don't have any great titles to their name, but just simply who will place their lives on the potter's wheel, as it were. People who will say, Lord, I'm not much of a stage here, but I give myself to you. I want to tell you that God is ready to put somebody on center stage. God is turning on a light right now, and he wants to elevate you, and he wants to promote you, and he wants to use you for his high and holy purpose. Oh, hallelujah. I wish everybody would clap your hands to the Lord right now because God wants to do a great thing in your life. Praise God. So Bethlehem, be patient. Don't be discouraged. You have a promise. You have, Bethlehem, a prophetic word from the Lord. And Bethlehem, because you have a prophetic word from the Lord, it is going to come to pass. Though thou be little among the thousands, yet I'm picking you out. You've won the divine lottery, Bethlehem. Out of you shall he come forth that is to be ruler in all of Israel. Did you hear me, Bethlehem? You're going to give birth to a ruler, Bethlehem. You're going to give birth to a king. And he's not just a dime a dozen king, but he's the king of kings. And he's going to be a lord, but he's not just one of the lords. He's the lord of lords. He's the ancient of days. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. You're going to give birth to somebody special. You're going to give birth to something that's going to change the world. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. I want to tell some precious person here today. If you have a prophetic word from God, if you have ever read the Bible, and as you were reading the Bible, that verse or that phrase leaped out and grabbed you, that is a word from God. If you've ever been in a Bible study or in a church service, maybe like this one, and suddenly there was a message, there was a song. Maybe you've been in a place where you've had a vision, you've had a dream. Somebody prophesied over you. Somebody spoke something special into your life. I want to tell you, friend, that if that is a prophetic word and if it is from God, it doesn't matter what hell says. It doesn't matter what life says. It doesn't matter what circumstances say. It doesn't matter what the bank account says. It doesn't matter what the divorce attorney says. It doesn't matter what the doctor says. It doesn't matter what mom or dad or anybody else says. If you have a prophetic word, from God it's going to come to pass and all the gates of hell shall not prevail against it I want to remind somebody about a word God gave you if you've got a word from God his word shall not fail oh no not even the crossing of a T the Bible says not even the dotting of an I and I think God wants to dot some eyes here today I think he wants to cross some T's. Hallelujah. Some of you thought he forgot about you. He didn't forget about you. 
Some of you thought, well, that, you know, I just had a pepperoni and anchovy pizza the night before. That wasn't a word from God. Listen, friend, that was from God. God is not mocked. God does not lie. You remember the moment when you received it? And it took 700 years from the prophecy. But suddenly, he stepped on the stage. Aren't you glad that God believes in doing big things in small places? <laughs> that means we got a chance. That means we've all got an opportunity. Praise God. And not only did Jesus, the Christ, in case you haven't figured it out, that's who I'm talking about. Jesus. Not only was he born in obscurity, nowheresville, Middle East, but he was raised in no goodsville. You know, it's bad enough to, to not be born anywhere, and it's worse to be raised in a place that was no good. That's what the Bible said, John chapter 1, verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said unto him, we have found him who Moses in the law and the prophets did right, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Is there any good thing? That was a joke in those days. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, I don't know. <laughs> come and see. You decide for yourself. Nathanael's crack on Nazareth was not to say that it was such a bad place or that it had a reputation of being evil or producing people of dubious reputations, but rather Nazareth was simply a place of no consequence. Nothing ever happened in Nazareth. It was not a shaken, quaking, baking place. Nobody important was ever born there. Nobody significant ever came out of there. Nazareth never made the headlines. It was never nominated for community of the year. It could claim absolutely no notoriety. But what obscure Bethlehem had given birth to was now growing. And it was now being nurtured on a small stage. The Christ was laboring. Think about it. The God of glory who stepped into the robes of human flesh was laboring in the anonymity and obscurity of a one of a dozen carpenter shops or so tucked back on the wrong side of the tracks in Nazareth. But I want you to know that all of heaven was riveted on every event and every move that was taking place and every word that was being spoken in Nazareth because heaven had an investment there. Heaven had a sacrifice there. And I want to tell you today, friend, that all of heaven is riveted upon you because you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. And God knew your end from your beginning. And God has an investment in your life. He created you and he formed you. And God doesn't make trash. And God doesn't make junk. And God doesn't throw away things. He said, a, a, a bruised reed I will not break. And he said, a smoking lamp that's ready to go out 
I won't snuff it out and say, well, here, I'm putting you out of all of our misery. No, he's going to put more oil in the lamp. He's going to put more wick on the flame. And he's going to fan you into a place. I'm telling you today, if you wanted to leave this church discouraged, it's your fault because there's a spirit of edification and God has a plan for your life and God has something he wants you to do. And you might be a small stage, but he can do a great thing on a small stage. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. You say, well, how can I become something special for God? I don't possess any great talent, no great ability. Listen, that God doesn't choose the way that this world chooses. God doesn't enroll people. God doesn't look at resumes the way that IBM and General Motors and, and the Sprint Company and the Disney Company do. God doesn't play those kinds of games. This is what he looks for. Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The way to attract the attention of God on a small stage is simply to serve. To serve. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that if we're going to be significant, that we have to attach ourselves to a significant place. There's been revivals that have swept the world, and I'm all for revival. But how many people have went to places like Smithton and Brownsville and in the days of yore to Azusa Street and to Joplin and places where revival broke out. And we could talk about revivals throughout the Reformation and so on. And, and people went to significant places where God was moving. But I want to tell you something, that God had to start those revivals somewhere. God had to, restart, had to start those moves of his spirit with somebody, with somebody's prayer meeting, with somebody's Bible study, with somebody's passionate heart for God. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. God, God looks for people that are not looking for a significant place. Sometimes we, we try to attach ourselves to significant people. You see, this is kind of a codependent personality hang up that that some people have and they think well if I could go to that church and and be a part of that preacher's life or that ministry or or if I could hook up with that person over there I could really be something special listen I want to tell you something friend that is that is not the kind of attitude or the spirit that God can really bless there's nothing wrong with going to a hot spot there's nothing wrong with everybody wants to be a part of something successful but it would be far based before God and have the attitude of a servant and say Lord this is a small stage but let's see what we can do here and begin to serve the Lord in prayer. I'll tell you what Jesus said. He said, if you'll go into your closet and close the door and pray, your heavenly Father that sees you in secret shall reward you openly. That's the way of the kingdom. We earn significance in the kingdom of God and even just in life in serving other people. And this is what Christ did. 
When God chose a place to be born, he did not choose a place of notoriety, a place that was exciting and a place that that was the hub of the center of the world, but he went to a place of no account so that rather than receiving honor from the place, he brought honor to the place. Jesus did not derive his honor from Bethlehem or from Nazareth. But he gave honor to those places because of his servant spirit and his servant heart. You know, 17 times in the scripture, Jesus is called Jesus of Nazareth. Not Jesus of Jerusalem. That has more of a a literary ring to it. But no, Jesus of Nazareth. Not taking honor because there was no honor to take from Nazareth. It was no Goodsville. Nothing ever happened there. But he chose to allow himself to be called Jesus of Nazareth. Why? Because he wanted to illustrate to you and I that when we will pray, not my will, but thy will be done. Amen. When we pray, my kingdom go and thy kingdom come. Friend, it's only a matter of time and God is going to put your ministry on the map. He's going to put your life on the map. When we don't look for places to get honor from and to suck up glory from but we come and we want to be a blessing we come along and we want to serve is there anybody here today that wants to bring honor to a ministry is there anybody here today that wants to bring honor to a plan that God has for your life praise God praise God that's God's way I'm not here to pat anyone on the back today especially myself but I do want to to say that when I was graduating from Bible college I began to become concerned about my future. And I know that these uh, graduates today are thinking about the next step and what is the next place and what door is God opening for me. And I had heard some rumors, I suppose, or opportunities that might come my way, but nothing ever came of those opportunities. And uh, my pastor sat me down one day and he said, Stan, what are you going to do? Now that you've graduated from college, I began to share with him that I had an open door to maybe preach around in some churches and, and uh, had invitations around the country. And his words to me cut me like a hot knife through butter. He said, well, Stan, I'd hate to see you evangelize and travel and spread your, spread your mediocrity all over the country. And of course, it was a little bit tongue in cheek But I'd have to say that he was right, but spread it, we did. We spread our mediocrity all over the country. We spread it far and wide through booming metropolises like Greenfield, Illinois, Pinckneyville, Illinois, and Sandwich, Illinois. Matter of fact, down the road from Sandwich, Illinois was Plano, Illinois. I was wondering if they couldn't put a bologna right between so we could have a Plano bologna sandwich. But those were places of renown but you know what my wife just gave it the best we could we it was it was mediocre and and uh kind of what i'm doing here today but it we did the best that we could and we 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 just rolled up our shirt sleeves as it were and and god started to bless and and we ended up one day at a small church in west jefferson ohio which was the the uh on the the outskirts of columbus and uh, there was a pastor there and a, 
a youth group of about 15 kids and we had a wonderful revival and had a great move of God and at the end of the Sunday night service he took my wife and I into the office and he said look I need some help would you come and help us we prayed about it for a few days and we called him back and said yes we feel that th this is a place that that we're to go for now and and so we came on staff in this small church and and we just began to serve and and to do what we could when we got in the district the state of Ohio for a while we talked to some of our friends nobody ever heard of West Jefferson but that didn't dampen our spirits we we just got involved we we were the youth pastor and then we started a choir and and started a music ministry and started a men's quartet and, and a youth ensemble and and we started a Bible quizzing team which we had for three years and we directed dramas and Easter dramas and outreaches and got involved in evangelism and teaching Bible studies and we won souls in that church and we just acted like it was a church of 5,000 people and we acted like we were in some great metropolis somewhere and we just began to pour ourselves into that ministry and we did not feel like we were anything special but but our desire was just to to serve somebody and to help somebody else reach their vision and the question that I want to ask our graduates today is how big does the stage have to be before you're willing to say God I will step on it how big does the stage have to be before any one of us here today are willing to say, God, I will step out on that stage? I can promise you that Dr. Overfeld did not start out as the principal of Raytown High School in his career. But I can tell you that there were a lot of steps and there were a lot of sacrifices and there were a lot of places that he served that no one else paid any attention to. But God has honored him today. And I told him today, I said, Dr. Overfeld, you literally every day are working and laboring at the gates of hell because our our, many of our public schools have been tormented and been troubled and sometimes our teachers have to teach in fear and intimidation but it takes a man like this with courage to step out and say look I didn't I wasn't born just yesterday I've been around the block a couple of times amen and you know what I feel impressed to do right now I think we ought to pray a blessing on Raytown South right now I think we ought to pray God bless this high school, God protect this high school, give them the greatest year they've ever had in 2004, 2005. Would you lift up a voice right now? Lord, we pray for the teachers and the administrators of Raytown South and for the students that are coming. Lord, I just pray that it'll be a stage where you can do something great. I pray that it will be a stage where you can make a difference. I pray, Lord, that you will give Dr. Overfeld wisdom and that you will give him guidance and that he will be a wise administrator, Lord, of the resources that you have placed in his hand, mostly the young people. And we come against every evil spirit that would try to destroy children's lives and that you would use these men to rule and labor in righteousness and give them godly decisions, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Oh, let's thank God for it right now praise God Lord you're able to use him for your glory praise God nobody ever heard of French Lick Indiana much less Spring Valley High School before a blonde-headed six-foot-nine sharpshooting forward took his high school basketball team all the way to the state championship and then took his college, Indiana State, to the Final Four in the NCAA championship game against Magic Johnson and the Michigan State Spartans, 1979. Oh, I know that many of us today laud him as Larry Bird, 
the three-time NBA champion with the Boston Celtics, but he didn't start out playing basketball before 20,000 people at the Boston Garden. But he grew up on a farm, shooting 500 free throws a day on a slightly tilted rim attached to a weather-beaten backboard in Cowtown, USA. One Major League Baseball scout was asked by a young aspiring high schooler who wanted to play in the major leagues. He said, what if I don't get a scholarship to a big college? How will anybody ever find me? And the scout looked at him and smiled and said, let me tell you something, son. If you can play, we'll find you. If you can play, we'll find you. I want to tell our young people here today, all of you are looking at a huge world and we're all looking to figure out where do we fit in? What is my place? What is my calling? I want to tell you today that this world can swallow you up and that the enemy of your soul can snuff out every ray of hope. That's what he wants to do. You've heard me say it before, but I heard someone say that you can live 40 days without food, you can live four days without water, you can live four minutes without oxygen, but you can't live four seconds without hope. And so you're, you're looking at your futures. Where do I fit in? I've got to tell you, and you know that I'm not a legalistic preacher, but there's so much of our culture that is taking hope away from our children. The music of the world is stealing hope from the children. Songs about suicide, songs about darkness, songs about death, songs about hatred, songs about violence, trying to suck out every vesture of life in our young people. Where can I find hope? I want to tell you where you can find it. You can find it on your knees in a closet of prayer. You can find it by giving your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, God, whatever stage you want to put me on, I'm willing to invest. I'm willing to sacrifice. I want to tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says promotion is of the Lord. And what God sees you do in secret, he will choose to reward you openly. Don't ever feel like somebody's passing you up. Don't ever feel like you're just spinning your wheels and other people are getting ahead. Don't ever feel like you can't seem to reach up to touch bottom. And not only have they got the first base, they got the second base, third base. They got a home run, a grand slam. They're winning the game. I want to tell you, it is not so in God's economy. For if you will humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, he will lift you up. If you will be abased, he will exalt you in due time. Oh, yes, he will. And something else you can take to the bank, and that is always do your best. You know the story of the wise men that came to present their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh? You realize they could have been following a star for up to two years, looking for that promised king that was to be born. They had visions of entertaining him in a palace or some great place of grandeur, and yet they find themselves in a small, plain, insignificant house. They walk in. There's a shepherd. There, excuse me. There's a, there's a carpenter without education. There's a teenage mother, and, and, they, and they have their gold, frankincense, and myrrh that are gifts that are fit for a king. 
And when they walked in the room, did they hide their gifts and run out to Walmart real quick and, you know, get a baby rattle and a, you know, a little popsicle or something? No. When they walked in, they still gave their best. They still gave their best. And I want to encourage you today, do not ever, don't ever allow the presentation of your gift to be determined by the estimation of your audience because you never know who you're presenting your gift to. You never know who you may be bowing down and serving. Amen. I want you to know, friends, that whatever climate we find ourselves, whatever venue, whatever circumstance, we always ought to do our best. Whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your heart. Do it heartily as unto the Lord. I heard the story of a, of a young preacher that was called to minister at a country church one day, and he showed up, and it was harvest season, and no one was there except one old retired farmer. The young city slicker preacher said, come off the platform before the service. He said, sir, I really don't know what to do. I expected a big crowd today. I got a great message, but you're the only one that showed up. What should I do? The old farmer had a toothpick in the side of his mouth, bibbed overalls. He said, well, I don't know about you, son, but if I went out to the barn, there's only one cow to feed, I'd feed her. He said, all right. So he walked up to the platform and he unleashed a two-hour sermon to one man. Come down off the platform after a sermon. He said, well, how'd I do? He said, well, that was a mighty fine message, but I got to tell you, I'd still feed that cow, but I don't think I'd give her the whole wagon load. God always expects us to do our best. Sometimes I hear young people and people, adults alike, kind of develop a victimization attitude and a lot of excuses why they haven't accomplished this and why they haven't done that. And, and you know, my daddy was this and my mother was that. And, you know, I had this circumstance and I had that situation. And, but, you know, Jesus never walked around making excuses. Well, you see, my mother was 15 when, when she got pregnant and then she got married and she was expecting me, you know, before my dad and mom were joined and the guy she married wasn't even a rabbi, just some old country carpenter and my mom wouldn't take me to town and introduce me to anybody because she tried to avoid crowds and I was born in a town that wasn't famous for anybody or anything and then we, we, we couldn't even go back to our old neighborhood because of problems there and then when we finally got to go back to Nazareth it was apparent that nothing good was ever going to come out of there and Jesus never used excuses he simply started serving people he just served people you say yeah but he had miracle power well so does the kingdom of God Jesus never used his power to exalt himself he never used his power to to to, to help himself, it was always to serve other people. It was always to minister to other people. It was always to give it away. And I want to tell you today, friend, if God ever blesses you with authority, if God ever blesses you someday with power in your life, it's not to, to, to be usurped by you. It's not to be, to, be, to, be, to, uh, to be stolen by you because all powers that be are ordained of God and power is to be given away. It's to be shared with other people so that we can lift people and exalt people as the Lord would allow us to.
Praise God. So what's the message? The message is, if you can't be anything where you are, you probably won't be anything where you're going. So bloom where you're planted. Start now. Can you say amen? There was a young man by the name of Monty Roberts. Some of you might have read this in Chicken Soup for the Soul. But I want to close with this story. Monty Roberts was the son of an itinerant horse trainer. Some of you have heard of the book Horse Whisperer. And Monty, his senior year of high school, was challenged by his teacher to write an essay about his vision for his future. So he wrote his vision, which included that one day he would have a 4,000 on a 200-acre ranch overlooking a lake with 400 head of cattle. That was his vision. And so he fixed it all up and brought it to school. Teacher took it, took all the essays, and when she passed his essay back to him, she had wrote a big red F across his paper. He, he was so troubled. He said, well, teacher, I did exactly what you asked me to do. I, this is my vision. This is what I want to have. This is what I want to do. She said, well, Monty, you've got to be realistic. Listen, you know that you've been to so many different schools and you're from a poor family and your father moves you from one school to another trying to train the next winner of the Kentucky Derby and and you're, you're never going to make that. Now, I want you to go back and revise your vision and make it more realistic. So he took his paper back home, sat down rather dejected, talked it over with his father. He said, Dad, what should I do? His dad said, well, son, it's your vision. You decide. So he took his paper with the big red F on it back to school. And he gave it to his teacher. He said, ma'am, with all due respect, you keep your F. I'm keeping my dream. And the beautiful thing about that story is that he would tell that story to troubled youth that would come from the inner city and visit him on his 200-acre ranch, sit in his 4,000-square-foot house overlooking the lake with the 400 head of cattle. What am I saying? I'm saying that with this mighty God that we serve, all things are possible. And I want to encourage somebody to dream. And I want to encourage somebody to catch a hold of a godly vision to be all that God wants you to be. Would you stand in the presence of the Lord? Praise God. You know, the Bible says that Heman was a cymbal player. And the next time we read about Heman, he was put down the cymbal and he was playing a trumpet. The next time we read about Heman, he's put down the trumpet and he stepped into a 288 voice choir. The next time we read about Heman, 
He's one of the three music ministers in David's music ministry on Mount Zion. And historians argue that it was Heman that was leading the choir the day that Solomon's temple was dedicated and the glory of God came down. What am I saying? I'm saying that God can take a cymbal player on the back row of the orchestra who is poised and ready for the one stroke of the cymbal that he gets. You know how a symphony goes, don't you? Yeah, it's two hours. The cymbal player is on the back row. Na, 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 na. Now, now, no, Heman, not now. Wait. La, la, la. Help me out now. Something like that. Nah, now, no, Heman, not yet. But he, he stays with the conductor. He counts every beat of it. He waits and he waits. Until finally, la, la, Heman. Everybody's got to start somewhere. <laughs> See, all I've got so far is one crash. Well, if you were on beat, if you were watching the conductor, then you're not going to be playing those cymbals long. You're going to have you pick up a trumpet. Did you know there was 120 trumpeters in that section? Heman started out in 120th chair. He got promoted all the way up to first chair, then to the choir, then leading the choir. And I want to tell somebody today, you are not alone. And your sacrifice has been as unto God. And it has been precious and you have poured it out not before others but quietly and anonymously before God. But the Father that sees you in secret is going to reward you openly. Can we close our eyes in the presence of God? Lord, I thank you for every dear heart that is here today. I thank you especially for our seniors today and all of our students, Lord, that, that have their futures in front of them. Lord, I just pray that you'll assure some young person or some, some young couple here today who, that's trying to make a living, that, that's, getting, that's struggling, trying to move forward in their life. Lord, if they will seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, then all these things will be added unto them. Father, I just pray that, that you will encourage somebody today who feels like they're toiling, Lord, in obscurity and, and there's nobody there to applaud them and, and there's nobody there to acknowledge, Lord. They're, their sacrifice. I pray that you will send them a message today that, Lord, it is not in vain. Their labor is not in vain in the Lord. God, in your time, you will bring them out. Their season will come, Lord. They're sowing now, but they shall reap. Lord, they're planting now, but they shall gather in some day. Lord, I pray for some young lady, some young man that wants to be something for you. Lord, I pray that they will not cheat. I pray that they will not cut corners. I pray that they will not try to get ahead as the world does, but that they will humble themselves before you and that you will exalt them in due time. We're going to sing the old, old chorus that says, Here I am, Lord. I give all myself to thee. Here I am. If there's anyone here today that you want to just place your life before God, if there's anyone here today that, that just wants to, to improve your service to the Lord, if there's anyone here today that just wants to let God give you a dream or, or maybe an aspiration of something that he wants you to do, we open this altar to you right now. You can come and stand with me here in the presence of God as we give ourselves to the Lord together. Would you sing it with me? 
Oh, here I am, Lord. Why don't you come forward for a few moments? Here I am. All of heaven stands at attention. I give all myself. That's right. Why don't you just come and place yourself in the master's hands? Place yourself in the potter's hands. Oh, he wants to bless your life. He wants to use your life for his kingdom. says if we'll humble ourselves that he will exalt us your spirit me. Here oh there's a tenderness of the Lord here right now there's a tender presence of God in this house oh let's give ourselves to him the Lord's looking for a Bethlehem today here I am is looking for a small place to start a big thing. I give all oh Lord, I give all myself. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at the Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.